thank our children, our youth. Beautiful job. Well done, well done. Way to go. Way to go, way to go. Oh, Siggy. Well, you try to remember all their names. Good thing they have name tags. You know, when we try to um, get to know all these kids, we can go, we can go this. You can hang with me, Trip, if you want. We can, we can just stay up here all day. But it's, it's neat that these, these kids, your children, your grandchildren, when they come to know the Lord and Savior, or our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, isn't that the greatest joy? That they have an opportunity to learn about Jesus Christ at an early age. So can we say thank you to them and our, our wonderful uh, teachers, those that take good care of our little children? <laughs> and it's funny because if I, if I don't remember their names, uh, they, 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 they tell me. They tell me, Uncle, that's not my name. And you try your very best. Have you ever tried uh, faking someone's name? Like you try to, uh, you're supposed to know their name, but you don't know for sure, for sure. And so we try to play it off. We're like, hey, Andrew, how are you doing, man? They're like, what? what did you say? But when you say someone's name, you have to be either, either fully committed to say their name if you're sure or not at all. You can't, you can't, you know, go in the middle because it's, a, it's, it's something that you must do. In this church, because we're surrounded by so many people, we see each other all the time. But forget each other's names, don't we? We see each other in church. Everybody's dressed up. But when we see each other at the mall or someplace else, we don't really recognize each other because we're not dressed up or whatever it is. And I, I deal with this all the time. I don't always dress like this. I don't always have, you know, my, my clothes like this. Now, one day I was at the plaza, and I had to grab something. I ran in, and I needed to get something and just run out. And so I think we were playing basketball that day. So I'm in this, you know, basketball gear, just whatever, shirt, shorts, and, and shoes. So I run into the store, and I'm, I'm getting some things. And I have my, my uh, earphones on because I, I had them on before I came in. So I'm at the line, at the register, and I see these two people. They're looking at me, and they're pointing, and they're talking to each other. And I'm thinking, oh, they're probably asking, is that Pastor Sheldon? Is that not Pastor Sheldon? So I'm watching them, and I'm thinking, I'm going to try and help them because maybe they don't recognize me. And, and I'm a lot shorter than I am now. The stage is about, you know, three feet, so I'm not eight feet tall. So when you see me in person, everything's different. Not, you know, they don't have all the lighting you know, and, and whatever else. So I'm thinking, I, I want to help them. So they're still pointing and they're whispering. And so I'm thinking, okay, I'm going uh, to try to help them out. And so I go to approach them and they're coming closer to me. So I'm thinking, okay, cool. We're going to talk stories. So I see them. I say, how are you? And they're still looking and I'm thinking, maybe they didn't hear me. And I said, how are you? Hey. And, and they keep pointing and they, they pass me. <laughs> and it dawns on me, they're looking at some things on the side by the register and they're looking at me like, who are you? And then I'm thinking, oh, man. You know, I was 100% committed in that exchange. So I tried to play it off, and I was on my earphones. I said, yeah, how are you? Hey, how are you? Like I'm on the phone, and I look at them like, you weirdos. What do you think I was talking to you? I didn't do that. I was thinking that, but shucks, I caught it after. When you're committed to something, you're, you're all in. You know, you're either going to do well or you're going to be made a fool. But commitment is not an end result kind of thing. It's a, it's a before it happens kind of thing. And that's what we want to talk about today 
committed. Committed is a word or commitment is a word that many of us have strayed from because of maybe past hurts or, or what we see in the world as what commitment is. But we're going to look at this final church in this series that we're looking at, these seven different churches in the book of Revelation. So you can take out your notes and follow along. These churches that we've been looking at, uh, they started off with the church of Ephesus and then made their way around the church in Smyrna, uh, Pergamos, and then Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia. And now we're at this church called Laodicea. This church is, is just amazing. This is the church that is famous for, say, for Jesus saying, this church is lukewarm. You've heard that scripture before. You know, I'd rather you be hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. Jesus said that. But this church in Laodicea, they had these principles that they were trying to live by, but at the same time being in this city that had great history to it. And the history that they had wasn't like uh, some of the other cities this city was at a crossroads where three roads and three highways, major highways, would intersect. So they became a wealthy city because of all the trade that happened there. And, and some of the other cities became wealthy too because of the trade. But this city, they had this trade going on. In fact, they also had, and they were known for, this medical school that they had. In fact, they had two doctors there that were so famous uh, that they put their names on their coins, and these doctors, they had this, this eye salve that they could put on their eyes that would help with the, uh, you know, when your eyes get like, like pink eye or, uh, or you just had sick in your eyes, they would have this eye salve that they would put and like ear oils and uh, this, this cream that they could put in their ears to help them with their hearing. So they were known for their medical capabilities. So they became this well-known city for all of those things and these ointments. But while it seemed like they were doing well because they were wealthy, their, their, I guess the backlash to that was they became self-sufficient. They relied on themselves as a city, as a nation, uh, as a city in that nation that they were in. And, and the nation that they're in, which what we know as modern-day Turkey, was Asia Minor, and all these churches were there. And because they became self-sufficient, that mentality trickled into the church and so those who were attending the church, they became self-sufficient. And they went to church, but they really didn't rely on the Lord. It's interesting that when we have a lot, when we have much, we don't have much to rely on when it comes to the Lord because we have. And so the church became like that. They started to rely on themselves. Well, in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, we're going to read some verses. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Revelation, chapter 3, uh, this final church... This church in Laodicea, Jesus addresses. And he, he tells John, this disciple, John the disciple, to write these words. And John was the one that walked with Jesus. Jesus loved him. He was the one that was known as my beloved. In fact, when John writes this letter, he's on the island of Patmos off the coast of Asia Minor, some miles from all these churches that he's writing to. And John was actually the one at the feet of Jesus when Jesus died on the cross. Remember when Jesus was dying, he said to John, he said, John, behold your mother, which was Mary, Christ's mother, Jesus' mother. And he said to Mary, behold your son. In fact, John took that to heart because that was one of the things that the oldest uh, son would make sure of if they were to pass away before their 
parents passed away was to make sure their parents were taken care of. So Jesus fulfilled that in John. He said, John, take care of her. That's your mom now. And we understand that here in Hawaii when you get like a Hanai mom, that they just kind of adopt you in. That's like your mom. So John took care of her and, and they moved from Jerusalem to uh, Ephesus. It's some, uh, maybe by car, 2,700 miles away from Jerusalem. So they're in this place called Ephesus, which was the first church that Jesus addressed in these seven churches where he said, you have left your first love. And I thought it interesting that that's where John moved to with Mary, Christ's mother. And so this, these churches that Jesus is addressing, because he's, John is writing these, these letters, all the churches got each other's letter. It wasn't like Ephesus just read their letter and that was it. No, they, were, he, they read all their letters. And the, the way it went was they had a route that if this is Asia Minor, excuse my, this is a quick drawing. The island of Patmos is over here. And you had all these churches. And the, when he delivered this letter, he delivered it to the church in Ephesus. And this was the mail route that it went, kind of like their route. So when he delivered this letter, Ephesus got, oh, I'm sorry, Ephesus got Laodicea's letter too. In fact, they all got these letters. So when you read in the book of Revelation and you hear these letters, they all got each other's letters because this was the mail route or that route that they took these letters to. So now they're reading each other's letter. And this is the letter that was written to this church in Laodicea. And in Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, it says, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of creation of God, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salves so that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. In other words, he disciplines. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. When he ends this letter, and he ends all the letters like that, to he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He did not say, for he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to this church. He wasn't speaking only to Ephesus, only to Smyrna, only to Pergamos, only to Thyatira, only to Sardis, only to Philadelphia, only to Laodicea. He's speaking to us as a church also. He's saying to the churches, Jesus has that kind of authority 
where he speaks to all the churches. It's not just our church, it's all the churches. All the churches throughout history he's speaking to. He says, this is what I'm saying to you. Sometimes you become self-sufficient. You gotta be cautious of that. And he was, he was addressing them in such a way that they could understand because when he said, you're lukewarm, you're not hot nor cold, you're lukewarm, and because of that, I will spit you out of my mouth, they could understand that because one of the other weaknesses that this city had was that they didn't have fresh water there. They had to bring in water six miles away through this aqueduct system. And by the time it got to them, it was not hot, nor was it refreshingly cool. The water was lukewarm. Have you ever drank water that was just lukewarm? It's not hot, it's not cold. It's just right in that middle. It's, it's just, it just doesn't sit well. So they didn't have that purification that they really wanted. I remember I was cleaning something up uh, on my carpet, so I had to use this cleaner, and I put it on the carpet, and I, I was cleaning it up, and so I put it down, and I'm working throughout the house. Then I get some water, and I'm drinking water, and I put my cup down, and then I'm working around the house, and then I grab my cup, and I drink it, but I grab the wrong cup, and I drink that cleaner. And so I, right when it hit my mouth, and I took one gulp, I just <laughs> and Heidi was like, what, what's, what's wrong? Are you okay? I'm like, no, I just drank cleaner. Now, thank God it wasn't poisonous, but it was okay. But I know that feeling. Have you ever drank something that was just horrible? Maybe spoiled milk or anything that you just didn't like. Well, Jesus says that's the flavor, and that's the feeling I have when you're lukewarm. And what he's saying is either you're committed or you're not. You can't be in the middle. I thought, wow, Lord, that's strong words. And he says, but I love those whom I discipline. So when the Lord disciplines us, it's because he loves us. He has a passion for us. Here's what we want to learn today. Because the question is, well, how do I live a life that's not lukewarm but committed? Because for many of us, like me drinking that, that, uh, that cleaner, you don't know you're lukewarm until it's too late. You've already, you've already made an assessment and said, oh boy, yeah, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. But it's not too late to, as the Bible says, as Jesus said to the church, he says, no, all you need to do is repent. Be zealous and Repent which is to change the way you're thinking, change your mind, and head in this direction. Here's what we're going to learn today. Here's the first thing. To commit to Christ rather than self-sufficiency. And you can write that in your notes if you're taking notes. Commit to Christ rather than self-sufficiency. Instead of us saying, I'm going to rely on myself, how about we rely on Christ? That's what he was saying to this church. He's saying, no, you're doing great. Yeah, you have all this wealth. You're, you're self-sufficient. But that's a, that's a dangerous place to be in because if you're self-sufficient, you can only go so far. Then, you, then with, with one big catastrophe, you're done. You can only do so much when you're self-sufficient. It's like batteries. Batteries are self-sufficient. It only lasts so long. You can turn on the light and say, oh, look at the light. Look, I'm shining. I'm shining for the Lord. Look, look at my light. We can say that, but is it our light self-sufficient? Or is it... Jesus Christ living in us. That's what he was saying to the church. He's saying, here's where the city is. Don't let that trickle into the church. 
you're committed to me. Don't be self-sufficient and fall into that deceptive self-sufficiency. You've got to trust in me and commit to me. The agricultural prosperity in this region generated banking interest. So they started to generate their own banking system. But the city was destroyed in 60 AD by an earthquake. And we know what happens when a city is destroyed by an earthquake or a tsunami. Wealth, what can you do now? Everything's gone. The rich become poor just like that. And that's what happened. But they were so wealthy that even when Rome came in with like FEMA, Rome came in and says, we can help you. We can help rebuild. We can, we can help with this disaster. We'll, we'll, we'll call it a disaster zone. They even said, we don't need your help. They were so self-sufficient that they said, we don't need your help, Rome. And they didn't. But they weren't able to rebuild as they wanted to. 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 through 19 says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the, for the coming age so that they may take a hold of the life that is truly life. Laodicea was experiencing that. And although they had this great wealth and became the, one of the greatest and most prosperous and wealthiest city in that area, it just took one earthquake to level them out. And being such a proud city, one shake of the ground takes it all away. And when Jesus says this to the church, they're thinking, boy, we've, we've been there. Matthew six nineteen through 21 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there shall your heart be also. There will your heart be also. That's what the Lord is saying. He's saying these treasures that you have on this earth, store them up in heaven. In other words, many of you understand this principle. You give or you tithe or you serve or whatever it would be. And in the giving process, you're saying to the Lord, I'm not going to just squander my gifts. I'm not going to squander my finances. I'm going to invest it in your kingdom because that's eternal. And he's saying that's where you store up your treasures. You store it with me. And many of you have contributed to the works of the Lord here at this church, and that's why we have what we have today. It's not the building that we're looking at. It's the Lord that we're looking at. That's why we give. That's the principle of giving. It's knowing that we're buying from him gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed. It's about Christ, not the building, not the sound system or lighting or anything like that. But we steward well what he's given to us. Because we've invested in the kingdom of God. And when you're committed to relying on the Lord, you don't forget about him. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so we're not lukewarm in that area. We just say, Lord, I give to you. I serve you 100%. You never forget something you treasure. You don't. Some of you still have things from when you were small. You still have your, that doll that your dad gave you or your boyfriend gave you. You still have that pillowcase or that blanket. 
that you don't, you don't wash because if you wash it, then it's no good. Like with our kids. You just have a keepsake because you treasure it. You don't forget those things. But not only do we say to the Lord, I'm going to commit to you. And I'm not going to be self-sufficient. Here's the second thing, and you can write this in. That I'm going to model the commitment of Christ. Model the commitment of Christ. You know, one of the things I've seen in our generation today is that they want Jesus. They're just trying to find what he looks like. It's going to be modeled through you and I. They're going to find it in his word. I'm so thankful that we have our, our life stage ministry. You know, they're, they're teaching our children about Jesus Christ. One of them who oversees our youth is Ben Urbanozo. In fact, I've asked Ben to give us point number two this morning. Ben oversees our youth. So could we welcome up Ben this morning? He's going to share with us modeling the commitment of Christ. Go get him, Ben. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Sheldon. Uh, point two is model the commitment of Christ. And if you read in Revelation 3, uh, when, when, it, when John actually writes the letter, it starts off with, These things say the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of creation of God. Now, what does amen mean? We all say it at the end of our prayers, amen. And at the end, it means uh, three things. It means, so it is, so it be it, and may it be fulfilled. It was a custom when, which passed over from the synagogues to the Christian assemblies, that when he who had read or discoursed or had offered up solemn prayer to God, the others responded, amen, and thus made the substance of what was uttered their own. You know, the, the word amen is an amazing word. Uh, it's been translated from, directly from the Hebrew into the Greek of the New Testament, then into Latin and into English and other languages. In fact, amen is known all over the world. That's one of the most well-known words. If someone says amen, everyone knows what it, what it relates to. You know, the word is directly related, in fact, almost identical to the Hebrew word for believe, which is amam, or faithful. Thus it came to mean surely or truly an expression of absolute trust and confidence. So when amen is used in the letter to, the, to Laodicea, it means firm, faithful, surely, truly, or of a truth. And Jesus is saying, I am firm, I am faithful, I am sure, and I am the truth. In 1 Peter 2.21, it says, For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. And you know, oftentimes we, we hear the word commitment, and one of the reasons why we stop is because we don't want to suffer. But, but in reality, sometimes commitment requires suffering. And as we're talking about modeling the commitment of Christ, for me, I find no better uh, example when we, when, we, when we look at what took place in the Garden of Gethsemane. Some of you might know where, where this place is. It's actually, uh, it's found at the bottom of Mount Olives. And many of us, we read it and we know that Jesus often went and he prayed when he was doing his ministry. He would leave his disciples. He would go off and pray, spend time with the Father. But this prayer is so much more special because of the fact that this is actually the last prayer that takes place before he's betrayed, arrested, and eventually crucified. And it says this in Matthew 26, 36 to 46. It says, Then Jesus went to them 
to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I pray over there to pray. While I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. He went on a little farther and he bowed it with his face to the ground praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to his disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. Then he came to his disciples and said, go ahead and sleep, have your rest. But look, the time has come. The son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. You see, I, I love that prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane for so many reasons, but one of them is because it's in the Garden of Gethsemane that we see Jesus not as just the son of God, but as the son of man. That he's man, he's fully man, he's fully human. And he's there, and I can just imagine what he's going through. He's, he's, at the, he's in the garden, he's spending time with his father, and he's basically saying, Father, if there's any other way, take it from me. But may your will be done. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm committing to the reason why you put me here. I know what's going to happen. In fact, Jesus knew. He already told his disciples, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to get flogged. I'm going to get, all this is going to happen, and I'm going to eventually die. Jesus knew all of that. And yet he's in the garden, and it's like that moment where he's, he almost could have said, I, I don't want to. But he didn't. He stayed committed to what God the Father had asked of him. You see, the model of commitment shown by Jesus is simple. Commitment means doing something fully, even if you don't want to. <laughs> like in marriage sometimes. I remember uh, me and my wife Katie were committed to trying to spend time at least once a week during date night. And so I come home on one day, we come home from work one day, and uh, she's like, hey honey, it's date night. And I'm tired, my brain is just frazzled. And I'm like, yay. <laughs> and uh and so she's like, oh, well, you know what? We don't have to go out. I can cook dinner, and you can watch a movie. And uh, I'm like, oh, that sounds great, because my idea was I'm going to just sit down on the couch and just watch TV. You go ahead and cook dinner. And so she's cooking dinner, and uh, she goes, oh, well, what movie do you want to watch? So I'm like, you know, you cook dinner. Why don't I ask you what movie you want to watch? And so previously, there's been a movie where she's always been begging me to watch. And I'll just give you guys a really good example why I didn't want to watch it. I don't want to watch it because it's a musical. <laughs> and so I'm like, uh, you know, honey, uh, I don't know what movie I want to watch. And so she goes, oh, well, can we watch this movie? And I'm inside, I'm going, 
And I'm like, oh, maybe not tonight. And she's like, oh, okay. And I can feel, I can feel the Lord saying, uh, you committed to date night. Uh, you committed to your wife. Your wife wants to watch this movie. She did, she did dinner. She's doing all that. You're on the couch watching TV. Say yes. And so I'm like, oh, I, 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 guess, I guess we can watch it. And, she's, and, and, and all of a sudden, as soon as I said that, her face just lit up. Oh, okay, okay, okay. It's one of my favorite movies, honey. It's one of, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and so I'm watching it, and it's, um, Mamma Mia. <laughs> and, and at the end of it, I saw I'm watching it, and uh, she knows I'm not liking it because I'm sitting there going, this is 007 singing. What's going on? And, and I'm like, and I'm just standing, I'm just sitting there, and at the end of it, she goes, honey, did you love it? I go, yeah, of course I loved it. You want to watch it again? No. And so, but just like in marriage, we're committed. Sometimes it means we got to do something that we don't want to do, like watch a movie that I really don't want to do. But, uh, but that's what commitment means, being, being fully willing to do something, even if you don't want to do it. And you know what? When I look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, there's something that really, uh, really amazing that took place. If you, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke 22, 39. And this is Luke's. This is Luke's uh, version of what took place in the garden. He said, Then accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went as usual to the Mount of Olives. Then he told them, Pray that you will not give in to temptation. He walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. He prayed more fervently and was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. You know, Jesus, when Jesus prayed that and when he said, Lord, Father, I'm going to stay committed to you, he became strengthened. And he became, he became even more strengthened to resolve to stay committed Nothing became easier. In fact, it got harder. Yet, he became stronger. Jesus was committed in forgiving, encouraging, giving, loving, worship, and above all, loving each and every one of us. So the question I want to ask you is this. What areas are you lukewarm in your commitments? Do you visit your garden of Gethsemane? And are you, are you committed to doing your will or God's will? And to share point three, I'm going to call back Pastor Sheldon up. Can we say thank you to Ben? Thank you so much, Ben. Here's, here's our final point this morning, to be a 100% committed person. And here's what we mean by this, be 100% committed person. Now, when you're modeling the commitment of Jesus Christ and you're, you're, you're understanding what that means and being a 100% committed person, it requires a heart to do something you don't want to do. Ben could only go through that movie and watch that movie because he loves his wife. He does not like the movie, but he loves his wife. When you love Jesus Christ, 
You can do what Christ asks you to do when you don't want to do what Christ asked you to do. That's what it means to be a 100% committed person. Uh, on the 23rd, you've been hearing about this membership series that we've been uh, putting together. And this membership series is all about your commitment. It's saying, this is my home church. This is my commitment to this church. Now, some of you have been here, like me, for years. This is where I came to know the Lord, and I've been here for years. But what does it mean to be a member of this church, and why is membership so important? Why can't I just attend? I mean, don't that make me a member if I just attend? Well, that's what this membership series is all about, so I'm inviting you to be there on Wednesday night. We're going to do a four-week series on Wednesday night, starting on April 23rd, and it'll be a powerful time together, not just as individuals, but as a church, to hear what God is doing a little bit of our history, who we are as a denomination called Foursquare, and where we're heading into, into the future, or where we're heading into the future, and what that's going to look like, and the part that you have played. And you have done phenomenal things already, but we are going to see so much more that God wants to do. At this church that Jesus is addressing, when he says, I stand at the door and I knock. Jesus wasn't lukewarm in that. He didn't say, behold, I stand at the door, I knock, and I kind of peek in and say, hello, hello, is anybody home? He says, no, I'm, I'm committed to come to you and knock on your door, knock on the heart. I'm going to knock on the door of your heart. But if anyone opens the door, which means that's our commitment to him, we open the door of our heart to him, he says, I will come in and dine and sit with him and he with me. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, there's no such thing as 99% commitment. In fact, when we understand the word commitment, we don't even have to use the word, I'm fully committed. You don't have to use that word fully because commitment is fully. It is 100%. And religiously, Laodicea had a large number of residents who gave up their worship to the emperor and so many Jews who lived in that area, in this part of Asia, even the Jews who lived there were playing the dual role. And so the Jews from Jerusalem were moved to complain about the number of Jews who had forsaken Palestine for the luxurious uh, wealth of Laodicea because they understood what 100% commitment was. And they were saying, you, you can't be in the middle of this. Jesus was a 100% committed person. Luke 9.51 says, When the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. That word determined, it means one who does not hesitate, does not waver. When it comes to your commitments, think about it. Do we hesitate and waver? Do we say one thing but do the opposite? Do we say one thing one week and then do different the other week? Do we say one thing to Jesus and then something separate? to someone else, or something different to someone else? Do we act one way to Jesus and then one way to someone else? Are we 100% committed to Christ and the things of the Lord? It's like dieting. You can't be 99% committed to dieting. You can't say, I'm going to eat healthy, but donuts, I can do donuts. I can do that. Or we'll say, oh, I'm, oh, I'm going to go on this diet. i got to lose 50 pounds by next week, so i got to go on this diet. But tonight is special. Tonight is special because it's date night, so it's special. It's hard. It's not the easiest thing in the world. Dieting is hard to be 100% committed to dieting. You're either all in or you're not. 
It's a tough thing to do. Budgeting. That's a hard thing to be 100% committed to. 100%. Let's save. Let's save. Let's save. Ooh, get sale. Get sale. We can save next week. Or, 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 or even serving. I'm 100% committed, but not this week. I cannot this week. I'm 100%. I'm committed to church. But get football season coming up, and I don't know if I can make it. It's, my, it's the playoffs or, or basketball right now, whatever it would be. The question is, am I 100% committed? And what Jesus is not saying is, if you're not committed or if you're cold or hot, then I don't love you. What he is saying is, when you're lukewarm, that's where I have a difficult time. He's saying, either serve me or don't. He's just that simple. And not because he's mean, but because he's 100% committed. He's 100% committed to us. Before he was crucified, he brought his disciples together. We know it as the upper room. And he said, every time you do this, remember me. Remember he had bread and he broke the bread and there was wine at that time. And he said, and they took the wine after, cup, after, the, after supper and he took the cup and he said, this is my, my blood that has been poured out for you. This is, this is my body which has been broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to receive communion today to remember Christ's commitment. And go ahead, ushers, you can pass out the juice and the bread. And then we'll receive communion together. When Christ says these words, he's saying it out of a life that is 100% committed to us. When, when we encounter obstacles, because we will, this is what it will look like. This is 100% committed. From point A to point B. Is it? And not that we have to walk a perfect life. But the quickest route between two points is a straight line. That's what we know in math. But this is what happens, and this is the reality of life. From point A to point B, we have these things called obstacles, trials, tribulations. So we do this. And then sometimes, because we have an enemy, the Bible even says that in, in one of these churches, in a couple of these churches, Jesus is addressing that Satan lives in this city. So even the devil comes against us and tries to distract us, and then we do that. And we meander, we waver, we get distracted. But even in our distraction, even in our wavering, even in all of that, Jesus says, don't look at you and your life. Don't look at your commitment. Look at my commitment in your life because I am 100% committed to you. In other words, when we feel ourselves straying, we don't look back on our life and say, this is how I get back on track. We look at his life and get back on track. That's why we're receiving communion this morning. We're going to sing, and then we're all going to stand together and receive communion so the worship team can come out. But here's the heart. That as we conclude this series, that we would say we are 100% committed to Christ. Oh, will we have flaws and mistakes? Absolutely. Will we meander and go down some side trails? We probably will. But we're 100% committed. We're saying to Jesus Christ, I give you my all. Let's sing that this morning. We're going to sing the stand. And today we're going to make that stand to say to him, 
that you're the one that we're looking at in this thing called commitment. We're not going to look at ourselves. We're going to look to you. So we're going to sing this together, and then we're going to stand together. For some of you, you're wondering, well, what does this mean then? What is, what is commitment when it comes to Christ? But we're going to say a prayer right now. So if you would bow your heads. Lord, for some of us, we don't understand what it means to be fully committed. And you might be here this morning, and you're saying, I want to commit to Jesus Christ. I just don't know how to. And if that's you this morning, you're saying, I want to give my heart to Jesus Christ. I want to be committed to him. Would you just lift a hand real briefly? You're just saying, yeah, good. Many of you, yeah. You're saying, I want to be committed to Christ. Good, good. How many of you would say this morning, this is my first time giving my life to Christ. This is my commitment to him. I want him as my Lord and Savior. Would you just lift a hand? You're saying, I want to give him my heart. Good. Anybody else? You're saying, I give my heart to Christ this morning for the first time. Good, good, good. We can pray this prayer together. You can put your hands down, but especially for those who are saying this prayer for the first time in giving Jesus your heart. Let's say this prayer together. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your commitment. Thank you for dying on the cross that you rose again, giving me eternal life. I believe in you that you died on the cross and that you rose again. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name I pray. We all said amen. Amen.